and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as Paradise Lost in Translation. It's a cultural quiz show and so much more. I'm Tony, and this is Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, Tony. Hello. You liked Paradise Lost in Translation. I did. There's sort of a literary bent to it. I don't know what it is. But it's nice to hear all those words together. <laughs> Have you engaged with both of those works of fiction, both Paradise Lost and Lost in Translation? I have not. I have engaged Paradise Lost, okay. but not the latter. Never seen it. Never heard of it. That is that is also true of your co-host, me. I have also read Paradise Lost, but not seen Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation uh, reminds me that I recently bought a ticket to Tokyo. Ooh! So that's sort of a fun thing. We will not be staying in the uh, hotel from the only scene of Lost in Translation that I've seen. <laughs> we will be staying in a hostel or Airbnb, but I'll be close to that movie magic. Yeah. You're just sort of jet-setting off for an adventure in foreign lands? Just jet-setting off. I'm going to see that Pokemon store. Nice. That's about it, honestly. <laughs> there, there is a, I believe it's, there is a mental condition which I believe is called Jerusalem Syndrome, wherein devout religious people, devout Christian people usually, will visit Jerusalem and will be very jaded by how modern it is and how, uh, just because, you know, Christians will go to Jerusalem with this sort of image of it being the place where Jesus flipped over the table in the temple and the place where all, like, where David, uh, you know. And kick flipped over the table <laughs> in the skate temple. <laughs> right. Also. So people sort of come in with very, very high expectations for the way that Jerusalem will be and how it's connected to their religious experience. And then when they when they arrive, they will be extremely jaded by it. And will sort of lose their minds and will like go on street corners and, and otherwise very self-controlled people will yell out on street corners about their religious convictions and things like that. I bring this up because I, I'm worried that this is going to happen to you with Pokemon in Tokyo, where mm. you're going to, you think all Japanese people are, are going to look like the cast of Pokemon and are going to be as obsessed oh. with Pokemon as you are. <laughs> that took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that I would go to the Pokemon store and just kind of be like, eh. Um, no, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm worried that your expectations of how much Japanese people like Pokemon will exceed how much they actually like Pokemon and that you will lose your mind. Interesting, and shout it from the street corners. And shout it from the street corners that you're just gonna scream in a, a Japanese businessman's face that he needs to catch them all. <laughs> well, I'll try to temper those expectations. Okay. But man, Jerusalem, Jerusalem syndrome, yeah, fascinating. I mean, I'm gonna look that up just to make sure that that's the actual name. Is there ever an example of someone who's very kind of ascetic and sort of religiously pious to the point of of stuffiness? who goes to Jerusalem and is just really charmed by the gift shop and starts, <laughs> starts telling all of their, their religious friends about how great the, uh, the gift shops are. Well, let me read, sort of reverse. let me read to you a, a skim of the Wikipedia page for Jerusalem syndrome. If I may, please. Jerusalem syndrome is a group of mental phenomena involving the presence of either religiously themed obsessive ideas, delusions, or other psychosis-like experiences that are triggered by a visit to the city of Jerusalem. They say it has affected Jews, Christians, and Muslims. 
It is not recognized by the DSM, but research about it has appeared in journals of psychiatry. There are three types of Jerusalem syndrome. Jerusalem syndrome imposed on a previous psychotic illness. So people who are previously psychotic go to Jerusalem and then start claiming that they're the Messiah or the second coming of Christ. Sure. So that's that's one where you go to Tokyo and you claim that you are Ash Ketchum. Hmm. Yeah, that seems more likely for me. Okay, well, let me go through the other types, and then we can decide which one is most likely. Then there's type 2, which is Jerusalem syndrome superimposed on and complicated by idiosyncratic ideas. Not necessarily mental illness, may simply be a culturally anomalous obsession with the significance of Jerusalem, either as an individual or small religious group. And that one's uh, type 2 is inherited, right? (laughs) And then there is type 3, which is Jerusalem syndrome as a discrete form, uncompounded by previous mental illness. You become psychotic after arriving in Jerusalem, characterized by intense religious character, typically resolves to full recovery in a few weeks, distinct pattern of behaviors, anxiety, agitation, declaration of the desire to split away from the group or family member and tour Jerusalem alone. So make sure you keep – is Katie going with you? She is, Make yeah. sure you keep her at your side at all times. Tethered to me. Need to be clean and pure. Obsession with taking baths and showers. That third one is fascinating. Yeah. Preparation, often with the aid of hotel bed linen of a long ankle-length toga-like gown, which is oh, always goodness. white. Um, oh, goodness. I shouldn't laugh, but that's so weirdly specific. Often with the help of hotel linens <laughs> right. and hotel staff. Right. They they love it. Uh, number five, the need to shout psalms or verses from the Bible or sing hymns or spirituals loudly. So that's going to be... You gotta catch them all. I okay, won't be the very best. Screaming. You know, I kind of, uh, I got a twinge of that when I went to Salt Lake City, actually. I was sort of enamored by it and came home telling all my friends and family how cool it was and how smoothly everything seemed to run and how nice everyone was and how I wouldn't mind moving there. And then, yeah, a couple weeks later, I I just felt like scales had fallen from my eyes, to use an, an apt metaphor. And I realized that Salt Lake City was fine. It was fine. But the way I talked about it, you would have thought it was the Pokemon store. (laughs) Right. <laughs> I'm glad you came to your senses. The uh, seventh symptom of type 3 Jerusalem syndrome is delivery of a sermon in a holy place. So this is what I was talking about earlier. The sermon is typically based on a plea to humankind to adopt a more wholesome, moral, simple way of life. Such sermons are typically ill-prepared and disjointed. <laughs> I could see you making an ill-prepared, disjointed sermon about Pokemon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm trying to think what my thesis would be. I think sort of a hallmark of ill-prepared, disjointed sermons is that they don't have a thesis. So your inability mm-hmm. to come up with one right now is, I think, in Telling. keeping, in, in keeping yeah. with the, the other symptoms that you've exhibited. <laughs> uh. I'm actually glad this is, as always, our our unintentional transition game is on point. I'm glad that we're talking about a, a foreign culture because the theme of today's episode is we're not so different, you and I. Ah. We're going to be talking about cultural differences and, you know, the differences between people. Lovely. What about you and I? Yeah, what are some of the differences between you and I, Austin? 
Hmm. Your hair is curly. Impish, I would say. <laughs> Impish, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah, I would say, you know, there's the five big personality traits, extroversion, introversion, you know, your, uh, shoot, what are the other ones? Judgment and thought. <laughs> no, those are the highly unscientific Myers-Briggs personality types. Oh. I'm talking about the... You're thinking about beetles or stones. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the five big five personality traits, the only scientifically validated personality test. The mm. five factors are openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism, and then the famous sixth impishness. Oh, impishness. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think, well, you know, why don't we just go through all those? So impishness, I think I obviously am the more impish. Yeah. Um, Openness to experience. Which one of which would you say that you are are you or I is more so the the two extremes are inventive slash curious versus consistent slash cautious. Mm. Well, Tony, who's who's going to Tokyo? Who's going to Tokyo? That's that's an inventive slash curious move on your part. Yeah, indeed. Although um, you are the one that comes up with most of the content for these uh, these podcasts, which probe into the deepest questions of human nature very yeah, so maybe we're not so different you and i oh uh, on the on the openness to experience scale i'm open to that <laughs> is, is this is this going to turn into a contest of who could be <laughs> the most open more open it'll turn into a terrible game of truth or dare <laughs> the next one conscientiousness the extremes are efficient slash organized versus easygoing slash careless Hmm. I think I think I might not, say we're not I might say we're not so different on that either. Yeah, I think we we both lean pretty hard into the easygoing slash careless column there. Extroversion, outgoing slash energetic versus solitary reserved. Now I don't know which one of us is more energetic. <laughs> energetic. Jezik sounds like a Star Wars character. <laughs> Enter Jezik, he's Jabba said right. <laughs> in hut, in Hatties. <laughs> you know what's something that's been bothering me for the last couple of days? What's, Sorry, what's total sidetrack. No, no, sidetrack. I've been listening to an audiobook about the early days of Qui Gon Jinn and his apprentice. Don't say his name. I, I won't. But yeah, you know that beloved character played by Alec Guinness, and then Ewan McGregor. Yeah. What? What if his first name was actually Wonkin? And, <laughs> and he was just trying to do a, a Bond thing that no one was really picking up on. <laughs> you know? And and just no one, everyone just kind of rolls with it because it's Star Wars and, and names are sure. my dumb. My, my name is, I'm Obi. Wong Kenobi. Wonkin. Wonkenobi. Obi. Wonkenobi. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it'll make it into the, the <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy canon. I, I think it's. Austin, I think that speaks to your inventiveness. You know? And uh, we can jump straight into neuroses <laughs> with that one. Yeah, the next the next category is agreeableness, friendly slash compassionate versus challenging slash detached. Hmm. 
think you and I are pretty similar in that regard as well. Yeah. And then neuroticism, sensitive slash nervous versus secure slash confident. Ooh. I would say that on the outside, I'm the latter, but maybe on the inside, I, I feel the former. Yeah. So I think the only difference between you and I in terms of the big five slash our new big six personality traits is impishness. Yeah, but there has to be a differentiator or else we people would mistake us on the street. <laughs> right. So those are the differences between us. Our first category of cultural trivia related to we're not so different, you and I, is weird translations of titles. <laughs> namely book and movie titles that have been translated from English into other languages and these sort of, uh, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say funny results. Sure, say it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide you with the literal translation of the foreign language title. I will tell you the literal translation and I will tell you the language in which it has been translated, and then it is your responsibility to tell me what the original English title is. Beautiful. Are these going to be books, movies? We're going uh, to start with some books, and then we're going to ease our way into movies. Okay, I'm ready. We're going to so, yeah, we're, it's, that's, that's the same order that they happened in history. We had books first, and then we had movies. Ooh, and, and often the same order that, that uh, things are made. True. Cultural artifacts are made. True. Yeah, the recently discussed Star Wars notwithstanding. And also, 2001 A Space Odyssey was written concurrently. Yes. Did you know this? I did know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. I agree. Okay, I'm ready. All right. The first book, the Swedish title literally translates to A Man Without Scruples. While you're thinking, I'm going to look up what the uh, how to pronounce it in Swedish. So I think that maybe that'll help you. A man without scruples. A man without scruples. Give me a second, and I will be able to pronounce it for you. The pronunciation isn't actually going to help, but I just think it would be funny to pronounce it. So give me a second here. Is it a member of the group that sang Safety Dance? <laughs> it shockingly is not. So according to Google, it is Enman Utan Scrupler. <laughs> Utan Scrupler. Yes. I'm going to have to give you more detailed hints because a man without scruples could describe n nearly every book that's ever been written. This it, the the American title, the English title is a reference to a specific man, the man who is at the center of the novel. He is a man who probably started off life with scruples but then did everything in his power to become very rich and has since become less scrupled less scrupulous you know one of the I, the first thing i was going to say was the count of monte cristo but i don't think that's right oh and your clue right. your clue kind of sounded like it could line up which is the only reason i said it yeah it um, it, it has this book has a sort of man with mysterious past is very rich and hosts a lot of parties Greg gatsby yes oh Yes. A man without scruples. Yes. Uh, or as or as they say in Sweden. <laughs> Did you hear that? It sounded like a, a, a talking doll. 
Yes. Ein Mann namens Schublein. I don't think there are, uh, I don't think everyone in, in Sweden is a, a computer that talks. So I think that maybe there was a little bit of. Uh, Get ready for some Stockholm Syndrome, Tony. You, <laughs> you're going to find out that's not the case. <laughs> How many cities have syndromes, do you think? You know what? I think this is an answerable question. I'm going to go to the Wikipedia list of syndromes. Whoa, there are a lot of syndromes, Austin. Lots of syndromes. <laughs> there are, uh, according to Wikipedia, there are 1,430 syndromes. Whoa, how are you going to filter those for most, cities? Most of them are not named after cities. Let's see here. All right, well, I'm not finding a list of just cities that have syndromes named after them, which I'm finding frustrating, so I'm just going to give it up. I'm going to say every city has a syndrome named after it. Yeah. And then call it a day. There's sure. about 1,430 cities in the world, right? Man, there's some gross syndromes here. Green <laughs> green nail syndrome. Whoa. Peeling skin syndrome. Whoa. Yeah. Hand foot genital syndrome. <laughs> I wonder what that would be. <laughs> Phantom limb is regarded as a syndrome, mm. as is holiday heart. Oh. Which I, I'm, gosh, I might have that. I think I have a lot of these. <laughs> Holiday heart is an irregular heartbeat pattern that presents in individuals who are otherwise healthy. Pretzel syndrome. <laughs> you definitely have that. Ooh, pretzel syndrome is sadder than uh, its name would suggest. Mm. I'm not going to dive in. Okay. It is not as I think it is an obsession with pretzels. Right. Okay. It is not. Okay. Well, then there's no real point. In <laughs> the next book comes to us from the Macedonian language translation of this book the title is the world is not a factory for fulfilling wishes mm, the world is not a f the world is oh. not a factory for fulfilling wishes if it was a world is a factory i think i would have had it dead to rights but it's not a it's, factory it's not a factory i while you're thinking about this i'm again going to listen to the, how google pronounces the title <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so this is this is Stephen Hawking speaking Macedonian. Let, let me know if you can hear it. It's not great. It's not it's not helpful. It might be a little racist. <laughs> that that Microsoft or that uh Google can't can't correctly pronounce. Well, evidently Macedonian uses what looks to be the Cyrillic alphabet. Mm. Maybe it's maybe it's confused by the. The world is not a factory. What's it called again? The world is not a factory for fulfilling wishes. Hmm. Now, as a way of guiding you towards the answer, what is something upon which people often make wishes? A star. Yes. So this is a this is a book with a. A sort of depressing title mm, that relates the fault, to... the fault in our stars. You got it, Austin. Wow, you freaking got it, man! The world is not a factory for fulfilling wishes. That would not have drawn. <laughs> that's that's even bleaker, I think. That's, yeah, than the fault in our... That's I, I don't know if I, if I were a tween, I don't know if I would pick up a book called "The World Is Not a Factory for Fulfilling Wishes." <laughs> would you pick up a book on scalp ear nipple syndrome? <laughs> As a teen, I think I would as have. A, as a tween? Definitely. Would you rather have burning feet syndrome or burning mouth syndrome? Burning 
Burning, Burning Mouth Syndrome sounds like you're really good at, at rapping. Sounds like mm. you'd be a really good hip-hop artist. Ooh. How about Larson Syndrome spelled with an E-N or Larson Syndrome spelled with an O-N? Interesting. So I think I think E-N is how Gary Larson of Farside fame spells his mm. name, and O-N is how Brie Larson of Captain Marvel fame spells her name. Let me double-check that. Oh, no, they're both O-N. Damn it. Damn it. There is a Gary Larson, E-N, who is a former defensive tackle in the NFL and played college football in Concordia College, Moorhead, Minnesota. Mm. <clears throat> Hit me with the next one. These are fun. Well, so at first, so The Fault in Our Stars is a Shakespeare reference, right? The, or the, the phrase The Fault in Our Stars is a reference uh, to Shakespeare. Yes, Do we I think that so. maybe they don't have Shakespeare in Macedonia? You know, I think they probably would have heard of him. You think they've heard of Shakespeare in Macedonia? Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know uh, how many of his works. Maybe that particular work has not been translated into that particular language. The next book comes to us from the French. Le Anime Partites. That one I don't have to look up on Google because I obviously, <laughs> obviously know how to pronounce that one. It translates to animals everywhere with an exclamation point. Ah, animals everywhere. I think the easy guess would be Animal Farm. Yeah, the easy guess in this case is the right guess. Wow. Yeah. Animals everywhere. <laughs> it kind of takes some of the subtlety out of the title Animal Farm, which I think is probably about being surrounded by people who behave like animals. Yeah. But Animals Everywhere! Exclamation point sort of breaks the... Really, it really hits the nail on the head. Right. And speaking, speaking of which, that provides a wonderful transition. So the French, it seems like the French really have a predilection for hitting the nail on the head when it comes to titles, because the <laughs> the French title of Cruel Intentions is just Sex Intentions. Sex? <laughs> now, I thought Cruel Intentions was already named after a French story. You know, that's a good question. I don't actually know. Uh, we can We can look it up, though. Cruel Intentions is a 1999 American teen romantic drama film directed by starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Phillippe, Reese Witherspoon, and Selma Blair. Uh, yeah, the film is an adaptation of the novel Les Liaisons Dangereux. So yeah, holy shit. So going back. Yeah. So we took Les Liaisons Dangereux, translated it into Dangerous Liaisons, translated it into Cruel Intentions, translated it back. Into Sex Intentions. Into Sex Intentions. And that's how you get your stripper name. <laughs> Take your favorite book, translate it into French. Uh, did you know that Cruel Intentions had two direct-to-video sequels? No. According to <laughs> Wikipedia, it did. <laughs> All right, the, the next movie comes to us from the Hungarian, the title of which is The Eighth Passenger. Death. Mm, ooh. The Eighth Passenger. Death. From Hungarian. From Hungarian. So, I'd love to say The Sixth Sense, but that would point <laughs> to a very flawed yeah. number system. Counting, bad counting system. Gosh, I'd also love to say The Seventh Seal. <laughs> You're but... working your way up there. Those are so, both movies with numbers, yeah, so, and and death is a very central element. Yeah, so there is no number in the in the ti in the American title. So oh. you're going to want to focus on 
Passenger. Passenger. Yeah. So what sort and of death. things? What sort of things have passengers? I'm thinking maybe murder on the Orient Express. Oh, okay. You are are not totally wrong because trains do have passengers. <laughs> That's how I'm not wrong. <laughs> Thank you. That is a that is a consolation prize for me. Um, if you would like to be even less not, if you would like to be even more not wrong, you might also think that a spaceship has has passengers. Oh, and maybe an unexpected passenger that kills a lot of people. Oh, interesting! Interesting title change. Yeah. Alien. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. The eighth passenger. Death. Death. Yeah. Once again, sort of taking the subtlety out. <laughs> I think the eighth passenger would have been a great alternate great name for alien, honestly. And in fact, in some languages, I believe that, yeah, in, in fact, in a lot of languages, the eighth passenger is the title. Like, it looks like French, Finnish, Norwegian, Polish. Uh, wow. Yeah. In fact, that's so fun. I wonder, is there a story behind that? Yeah, it's the story of a, a spaceship alone. Story of a little egg who wanted to be <laughs> wanted to be a boy, <laughs> and kept assimilating. Interesting. The eighth passenger. It reminds me of the original title of the thing, which was. Do you know? No. Okay, I'll give you. I'll I'll lead you to the answer. Sure. Guide me. Lead me. Guide me along the way. What would you say if you had to distill the message of the thing into one pithy sentence? The message, not the plot, the idea. The message of the thing. Um, one of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> not so different, you and I. I couldn't tell you. Okay, well... I'll tell you the please, title. Please do. <laughs> the idea that uh, something is in a place with you, and you have no way to distinguish it from things that are familiar to you. So, so maybe if someone's knocking on your door, what's something you might say? Who is it? Good. What's something a little more aggressive you might say if you think it could be someone? that you don't want to be there or you, you think it could be a, a stranger. Who, who do you think you are? Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> who goes there? Who goes is the, there? Is the original name. Oh. Mm, you should have, you should have put me at the gates of a castle rather than at the doorway of my home. Yes, I should if have. You, if you had... I wish I could do that for you, Tony, <laughs> but it's not in my power. <laughs> I needed a word picture that put me in 16th century England, not 21st <laughs> century America. Yeah, so that's Alien in Hungarian. The Eighth Passenger, Death. I love that. That's great. <clears throat> Another Hungarian translation, meaning multinationals go home. <laughs> this is another one with an exclamation point. Multinationals go home. Yeah. This is one that is particularly hard to translate because it has a, a symbol in the title, a sort of emoticon, emoji-type symbol in the title. Interesting. An emoji in the title, that should be a giveaway, but... 
I don't know if it qualifies as an emoji. Like a, a but it, a, it, yeah, emoji, emoticon, something. Okay, yeah. let me just run through them. The eggplant movie. Um, <laughs> the dancing twins. Uh, poop. Poop I mean, boys. It's, it's not the entirety of the title. It is part of the title. Hmm. More most of the most of the translations translate it to the word love. Oh. Heart. Yes. I heart you. <laughs> Philip Morris. You're so close. Multinationals go home? Yeah. What could that mean? <laughs> I believe it is a reference to a new store that is being opened. There is a sort of big, a big multinational store that is competing with a local store. Oh, that Dane Cook one where he works in the Sam's Club. <laughs> it is. It's not that one. I heart Dane Cook. I heart Dane Cook. You're very. You're right there with I heart. I heart. Man, I'm stumped. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. I might just be thinking about uh, summer penile syndrome, <laughs> um, which is something I saw ten minutes ago, and I've been captured, I've been obsessed with it. That really captured your imagination. Uh, but man, help help me. Give me another clue. I, I I plan on helping you. I thought that we had talked about it on the show. It's it's a sort of like weird, like almost absurd comedy where a new big store is going to open. And you've got two-thirds of the title with I Heart, and then the third part of the title is the multinational that Hungarian viewers would like to go home. Let me name some of the people in it. A guy by the name of Dustin Hoffman. A Jude Law. This one will give it to you. Jason Schwartzman. Huckabees. Yes. I Heart Huckabees. Never seen it. I had no idea what the premise was either. Okay, well then my clues were not helpful. I heard Huckabee's worth a watch. I haven't seen the entire thing, so I can't even. I've only seen part of it. So you and I, next time we see one another, can sit down and watch I Heart Huckabee's, and and whenever uh, it mentions a multinational, we can say, "Go home." Go home, multinational. Go home. Yeah. So I Heart Huckabee's translated into Hungarian as multinationals go home. The next one comes to us from the Danish translation: "The boy who drowned in the chocolate sauce." <laughs> <laughs> very fun very fun i mean i wish it was chocolate but um, <laughs> it's probably charlie and the chocolate factor right? it's well it's willy wonka and the willy wonka the it's the old factor. one not the new one yeah it's kind of a bit it's a bit of a uh miss it missed the mark a little bit it's sort of the opposite of the french hitting it too hard on the head it's just like that's one character that's like the character you see the least in the movie is yeah. the boy who drowned in chocolate sauce spoiler alert yeah i didn't even remember that is that in the river in like the first in like the second scene of the film yeah. that happens augustus gloop wow the boy who drowned in the chocolate sauce maybe he was a danish actor or a danish character oh maybe i mean okay, well now augustus it's, now it's time to get to the bottom of this Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's like the weird people that go to a concert to see the opener and then they leave. Right. <laughs> All the Danish people <laughs> left after Augustus. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. Hmm. 
The actor's name is Michael Bolner. Let's see who this guy is. No, he's German. Oh. Germany is close to Denmark, though. Sure. It's close enough. It's probably the closest thing that was represented there. Probably. Michael Bolner, currently 60 years old. Uh, He would have been. (laughs) He would have been if he hadn't drowned in chocolate. Uh, yeah, that's... And then the last movie, I've got three translations that were all very fun. The Vietnamese one, uh, Vietnamese translation, it is very difficult. (laughs) The Polish, the head does not fit. Uh, I would be very surprised if you could get it from those two. The the French... Wait, wait, wait. It is very difficult and the head does not fit. Yeah. Okay, yeah, keep going. <laughs> the French-Canadian title is So Close and Yet So Far. The French-Canadian title is Upside Down. Is, uh, what, what was So Close and Yet So Far? Uh, when you hear the actual title of the film, you will say, Oh, Upside Down is very close, but very far from this. Oh, it's interesting. A, it's a similar phrase, but not with like very much not the same meaning. Mm, the head will not fit. The head does not fit. Does not fit. Upside down, it's not sideways. It's not sideways, but you're in sort of the... It's, syntactically, it's very similar to upside down. Could it be referring to the title track from the Curious George soundtrack by Jack Johnson? <laughs> Curious George, final answer. <laughs> you know, surprisingly... That's not it. The first two titles are a little bit of a hint. I mean, the head does not fit. You want to be thinking about somebody's head. Sure. And it is very difficult. I would say that growing up is very difficult. I would say that coming of age it can be a difficult process. Indeed, indeed. So we have the the, the film in question is a, is a sort of, if I may use the German, Bildungsroman, mm. coming of age story. You may. You may use the German. The head does not fit. It is very difficult. And upside down. Yeah. Well, coming of age novels. We've got um, the we're, Goldfinch. We're, we're in the move. We're in the we're in the realm of films. Don't forget. Oh, we're in films. Yeah. I realize that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was a, a a sort of slide back towards books, but it is the film version. Coming-of-age film about the head not fitting, sort of. Just don't even think about the not fitting. Just think about the head. Well, in boyhood, his head grows, (laughs) and it would not have fit his his boyhood body. True. This is a young girl who is coming-of-age in this film. Inside Out. Yes. Wow. Do you not understand what I meant by so close and yet so far? I do. I do understand. Because head... Inside Out makes so much sense as a title. Because we are going inside someone's head and bringing it out in front of the audience. But Upside Down doesn't make any sense. Right. The head does not fit. That's good because there's so much going on in there you'd never even believe. Sure. It is very difficult. Also a great title. Yeah. I've not seen Inside Out either. Whoa. Um, I know, which is crazy. I love animation. I love... Yeah. Pihar. Pihar. <laughs> that um, is a strong contender for, like, top ten movies to come out in the last ten years. 
Wow. It's very, very good. All right. I'll put it on my list. So that's uh, that's Weird Translations. I loved it. Good. This next category is, is given that you're going to be outside the country, this next category is going to be very helpful for you. It is things that non-Americans find weird about Americans. Great. And, uh, you know, I want, I want you to practice a little bit. Do you have any off the top of your head things that sort of cultural things that you know people find weird about Americans? I think that we are typically louder in public. You're so right. According to a MSN.com article, <laughs> the person they quoted is just <clears throat> one person from Israel, but fine, so be it. Uh, one person from Israel says, why do Americans laugh so loudly, talk so loudly? We can hear you, you know. Mm. And to answer his question, why do Americans laugh so loudly, talk so loudly, uh, it's because we have the best stuff to laugh at and the best stuff to talk about. So like, yeah, boom. So like, how about you just listen when we Zing. talk. Yeah, everyone you're listening to is has our podcast in their ears. Right. <laughs> yeah, everybody's listening to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael at top volume. And so they're laughing and talking loudly. <laughs> I would say, I think that, I might be wrong about this, but I think that pointing is not something that a ton of people do. Um, or gesturing. Yeah, I mean, gestures, yeah. So that that's something that everybody finds weird about everyone else. Sure. Where, like, they're just, like, the way that people gesture is highly varied for instance if inglorious bastards is to be believed the way that americans gesture the number three is weird to germans deadly to germans deadly to, well deadly to americans deadly to americans what else what else so when you go into when you go into a restaurant austin what are some things that you're, you're that are going to be different in foreign countries than in america oh tipping tipping huge People think that's crazy. The one time I was abroad, there was always sparkling water on the table, which is not something we necessarily do all the time. True. Yeah, sparkling or still. And they sparkling or still, yeah. Sparkling or still. Sorry, I, sorry that I, I just want water. Like I don't want, yeah. I don't want your I don't want your weird water. I just want water. <laughs> Please. Please. Can I still? have some water uh that was nothing <laughs> that was nothing hey at least you realized it before you said it to, to somebody in a real restaurant that's true public displays of affection yes again that's gonna vary by countries because some countries they straight up kiss on the mouth when they see each other yeah that's true that's true um, two other things in restaurants austin drink related ice ice yeah People, Ice. people from other countries are fine with shitty warm drinks. Ugh. And to that, I say multinationals, go home. <laughs> go home. One other thing about drinks that foreigners think is weird in America that I need you to, I need you to, and, and the hint I'm going to give you for this one is that France banned this activity in 2017. Blowing bubbles <laughs> <laughs> with your straw. Um, you walk into a restaurant. You say, "Can I, they say sparkling or still?" You say, "Still, obviously." They bring a, they bring a drink to your table. It doesn't have any ice in it because it's a terrible country. You finish your drink. You say more. You say more, please. And what do they say? 
They say that was actually banned in 2007. They say, yeah, they say free refills was banned in, in 2017. Man. Most How countries is... don't do free refills. You know, and most Applebee's. <laughs> and most Applebee's. Most countries are bad. <laughs> most Applebee's are bad. <laughs> and, and most Applebee's are bad. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Those are all... Um... I don't know. Maybe I'm just a multi multicultural multicultural soul because none of those seem too egregious to me, except for the ice. What the he- what the heck? Ice? You gotta have ice. Gotta have ice. You kidding me? Yeah. You can have like a lukewarm Coke. No. It's not what I, I don't want. want to feel my teeth melting. I want it. To, I want it to numb and then melt, <laughs> and then rinse it down with some some still water. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said that he'd lead us beside still waters. <laughs> still on the still and, water thing, huh? And so anyone who, who puts the, I think the Czech, I think the Czech translation of the word for sparkling water uh, roughly equates to gas. Like, do you want <laughs> gas in your water? Do you want, um, I could be wrong about that, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> and if I am wrong about it, I thought yeah, me saying I thought it was interesting is a meaningless, <laughs> it's a meaningless phrase. Another thing, when you walk into a restaurant, you say, "Hey, can I have can I have this this meal?" And they bring out a plate, and how how much food is going to be on that plate? Is it going to be enough food? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, because they don't have the awesome portion sizes that we have in America. Mmm, gimme. <laughs> Although that, you know. <sighs> Certain Chicago restaurants seem to be adopting that that ethos. That's true. I think uh, f- fancy places will sometimes. Uh, I don't know what the opposite of supersize is, but it's that. It's that. <laughs> Supra size. Baby size. <laughs> are you yeah. are you kidding me? Size. Take it back. <laughs> I also this and this is a, a side note. This is something I didn't realize, but I I just use the word awesome. And apparently that's a totally American thing. I mean, interesting. a lot of other countries don't speak English, so they wouldn't use the <laughs> word awesome. But even like British people who ostensibly speak English don't really use the word awesome as much as we do. Hmm. Not when you're speaking the kings. <laughs> interesting. I mean, yeah. Have, have they never heard of Rich Mullins in Great Britain? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think they probably have. I hope so. Yeah, and you know, um, you, you could say awesome portion size. That would be true to the classical true. Uh, meaning yeah. of, it, of it, awesome. It does inspire awe. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we can uh, we can keep it to its its classic meaning yes. on the show. So, so I'm going to keep taking you through this this mental journey of a restaurant in a foreign country. So you come in. You get still water without ice, and they don't refill it for you. You get a tiny little baby meal because it's a terrible country, and then and then you get your bill, and uh, you have to t- you don't have to tip because their service is terrible and because they don't care about getting extra money. Another thing about <laughs> another thing about shopping. I thought, I thought you might spin that one for uh, for the positive. But <laughs> I'm glad to see that you're. 
You're keeping it going. <laughs> if you if you were suggesting I would spin anything about America to the negative, I, I I'm gonna walk out of this podcast right now. <laughs> Another thing about buying thing in foreign countries, the prices in foreign countries. Do, do you know uh, something weird about America in terms of the prices you see? Does it have to do with certain taxes being added after the fact? And it very, it very much does. Almost every country besides America will include the tax in the sticker price. So when you're walking around the store, you see the price that you're actually going to pay. Man, now that's nice. Whereas in America, you have to figure it out for yourself. Let's adopt that. One, one thing that I noticed in Toronto is that if you go into a restaurant and the bill is brought, everyone gets a tiny little credit card machine, and mm. you can just handle it there and get out of there. Yeah. You don't have to wait on this this cat-and-mouse game. Yeah. That is something that, that Europeans uh, think is weird about Americas as well, because they all do the same thing. They bring a stupid little machine to the table and swipe it at the table. Mm-hmm. Instead of the awesome system where you give your credit card to a stranger and they get to be alone with it for a few minutes and then they bring it back. And then maybe they bring it back right. and maybe they forget. And, and maybe they haven't stolen your number and little three-digit code on the back. Maybe they have or haven't done that. And maybe you're trying to see the matinee showing of the Fall in Our Stars and you're ten minutes late because your credit card is nowhere to be found. Right. Exactly. That's a system. Yeah, other countries are. Uh, it's just. Yeah. So I just want I want you to be prepared. I want you to be prepared for all international travel, including but not limited to your inevitable, what I'm going to call horror show in Tokyo, where you will get small, lukewarm drinks, and only one of them. And only a single a single bite and just tiny portions, Pokemon portions. Pokemon, yeah. Pacharisu portions. When I when I'm talking, I'm a Charizard. Exactly. Talking Bulbasaur portions. When <laughs> I'm a Latios over here. Yeah. Do uh. Talking about a star you. What do uh? Portion size. What would like a uh? What would like, an, what would like an Onyx eat, or like a Geo dude? Like, they're made of rock, right? Do they eat rock? Probably. It's probably like the rock monster from... Um, oh, Never Ending Story. Never Ending Story, yeah. yeah. Yep, you're probably right. Except they don't have big, strong hands. <laughs> well, Geodude does. Geodude has big, strong hands. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, they probably eat rocks. Maybe they eat moss. I see. That'd be kind of cool. If, if it's a still rock, if it's a if it's a rolling stone, they're not going to find any of that. <laughs> That's true. You know, they don't show this in the anime or the games, but they probably just are chomping on Rattata mm, yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's true. That's probably a lot of Pokemon consuming other Pokemon. Like a Rattata Frittata. Which is especially morbid because Pokemon can't be killed. They can only be knocked out. Mm. So you have, to just eat, you have to eat a fainted Rattata. <laughs> and even then, they uh, they don't die. <laughs> It's a Mariner's Revenge song <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah. We are too ratata. <laughs> yes. That's a long song, and we could spend a lot of time replacing the words in that song with Pokemon <laughs> names. Let's just call it quits for now. 
Yeah, and maybe <laughs> save it for our our lost episode. Right. We'll come back to that in our hundredth episode. <laughs> so those are some cultural differences between Americans and the rest of the world. Huh. Love it. The final category I want you to uh, is it's something sort of related to our theme, and I'm going to tell you that BBC Music voters voted this song the worst duet in history in 2007, mm. and it was named the 10th worst song of all time by Blender Magazine in April 2009. And it's a duet? It is a duet, yes. Hmm. 2007. This, that's not the year the song came out. That's just the year when it was voted that. The song came out well before that. Okay. Are we talking well before? Are we talking... Uh, 60s, 70s, 80s? 80s, I believe. If I had to pick, it would be Don't Go Breaking My Heart mm. by Elton John and Kiki D. No, this particular song relates relates to the, the theme of We're Not So Different, You and I. Oh, Ebony and Ivory? That's exactly right. Wow. I wasn't even thinking about the theme. I was just thinking about how much I hate Don't Go Breaking My Heart. <laughs> and if my mom's listening... You know, I did used to like it. Okay. I don't know what happened. You've, you've really come around on hating it. I've come along. But you know what I you know what song I do like? What's that? Ebony and Ivory. Okay. Well Any old uh, day. Yeah. You you disagree then with the plurality of BBC music voters and the writers and editors of Blender magazine. Yeah, I well, let me clarify. Sure. Well, actually, no. No, no, no. I was going to say the the first lyric is Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony, mm -hmm. which is a falsehood. But the second part of that is side by side on a, my piano keyboard. Oh, Lord, why can't we? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a more accurate plea slash statement. Yes, on a piano, that is the case. Why can't we? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, come on. The lyrics are great. People uh, are the same wherever we go. There's good and bad <laughs> in everyone. Yeah. The song was banned in apartheid-era South Africa. Do you think it was banned because it was the worst duet in history, or do you think maybe there was a different reason why it was oh banned? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Wow, <laughs> that song was banned. They thought that, okay, <laughs> if, if there's one thing that's going to start civil unrest... <laughs> We can't let them hear Ebony and Ivory. Right. It's doing too much good. <laughs> it speaks to the power of the song, that it struck fear into the heart of apartheid-era South African leaders. Yeah. Man, oh man. That is fascinating. Yeah. Ebony. Just so, you, just so everyone knows, those lyrics were off the dome. I was not looking anything up. I'm, I'm extremely impressed. The, the only... Lyrics I knew were the opening line because I usually turn off the song after that, but I'm impressed. So you think probably the the song was banned for other reasons beside it not being a very good very good song? Yeah. You think maybe I would, they had other reasons for doing that? I think so. I think so. I think yeah, I think you're probably right. Now had Michael Jackson's black and white come out at that point, I don't think it had. I think black and white was you know late nineties. Although I I, I hate to say I don't exactly know when Apartheid ended. Released 1991, uh, Apartheid officially ended, I think, 1994. 
Wow. Who's to say? Was black and white banned? Because that could help us triangulate. Right. Let's see. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We can really nail down their motivation. Let's see here. So black and white, there is a – I haven't read the section yet, but on the Wikipedia page for black or white, there is a section called controversy and censorship. So let's see what that section has to say. Uh, Oh, no. This is just related to, like, the the music video. I don't see any mention of – it being banned in South Africa, which to me suggests that the South African government then just didn't really like the song. It's not they didn't have any ulterior motive. Interesting. Well, I'm looking here at uh, 12 essential anti-apartheid struggle songs. And mm-hmm. guess what? The top one is it's not Ebony and Ivory. It's Black or White by Michael Jackson. It's not. Oh. <laughs> but it helps us solve the mystery because it's Stevie Wonder's song. It's wrong. Oh. Parentheses apartheid. Close parentheses. <laughs> Is that seriously the name of the yeah, song? Yeah, that's the name of the song. Man, why did um, he go so narrow with that? He should have called it "It's Wrong Racism," and then racism would have ended in 1994. Ah, oh, Stevie. Stevie. <laughs> Shoot for the stars, Stevie. <laughs> so well, that might explain why Ebony and Ivory was was banned because they had Stevie beef. It had the Stevie beef. Yeah. Interesting. Ebony and Ivory, both valuable and threatened products. Most of Africa's indigenous ebony has been cut down illegally. I was looking up an article about ivory, and in 2011, 2012, and 2013, combined 100,000 African elephants were killed. Oh, my gosh. During 2011 alone, roughly one of every 12 African elephants was killed by a poacher. Gee, mini Christmas. That so, how's, is... so how's your song? Yeah. How's your song, guys? How's your song about your illegally poached and cut down products living together harmoniously? Just perfect. Side by side on my piano keyboard under my elephant trophy yeah side by side on my piano keyboard after being illegally pilfered out of the african continent wow what if what if they banned the song because it encouraged poaching oh interesting take that could be a crazy take that's that's a very interesting take austin so just to lay out the thesis uh south africa banned ebony and ivory the song we know this this is a fact claim they did so as a anti-poaching measure slash anti-deforestation measure yes that would be the thesis that would be the thesis you know it's hard to say it's hard to say could have been could have been the stevie beef stevie beef could have been racism could have been anti-poaching and anti-immigrant and anti-deforestation so who knows so that's sort of a uh, a bit of a dark turn. I wanted to I wanted to end on a on a lighter on a happier note, which is in looking into Ebony and Ivory the song, I discovered the Wikipedia article Ebony and Ivory in parentheses piano duo, mm. and I discovered Ruth Eisenberg and Margaret Patrick. They they are two women in New Jersey, both quite elderly. Both of them were piano players as younger people, both of them suffered strokes, 
leaving them each with one hand. And so in the late 80s and early 90s, they became a piano duo, one of them using their left hand, one of them using their right hand, and they played beautiful, beautiful music together. Oh my gosh, that is so precious. Isn't that the best? That is so sweet. Yeah. That is a that is a good note to end on, Tony. Yeah. It became a national sensation when the New York Times wrote about them. I mean, I don't know if, if sensation is the right word, but they drew national attention when the New York Times wrote about them. I just I thought that was a delightful little story. It is. And we're and and you bring it up because they it was a black woman and a white woman? It surely was. Wow. That's why, that's why they were called they were nicknamed Ebony and Ivory because of that. And because of the, you know, the song obviously made the phrase famous. Interestingly, and this is something I just noticed as I was reading this, the song Ebony and Ivory was released in 1982, and they both had their strokes in 1982. Oh, interesting. Do you think maybe they faked the stroke and then played together knowing that they would get called Ebony and Ivory? Like, they heard that song and they were like, what if, what if we became ebony and ivory and people paid us to play piano as a team wow and no one would ever dare right. call us on it mm, i don't like it tony yeah honestly and uh i, I said i was gonna end on a lighter note and then i i, I created oh, don't, don't created, get me wrong i think it could have happened i created a conspiracy theory where two beautiful elderly woman in new jersey stroke uh, victim invented of fakes, alleged yeah, stroke fakes, victims fake strokes to make a little bit of extra money as piano players i don't think that's what happened i think they both genuinely had strokes and it's just a coincidence that the song came out in 1982 and that's when they had their strokes wow they could have named themselves the strokes <laughs> And changed uh, New Jersey slash New York garage pop forever. Um, <laughs> but they left that to a younger generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, sickening. Just sickening. Sickening. I hate us. <laughs> oh, that's rich. <laughs> well, Austin, that is... Uh... That's an episode about our, our differences and our similarities. Not so different, you and I. Not so different, you and I. Your initials share initials with Touchdown. Yes. Um, I wonder why you said that. Because um, I was pulling up the Skype window, anticipating a impending disconnection. Mm, 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 mm. And you saw a TD. Said TD. Touchdown. Touchdown. Total, total depravity. This this episode, and honestly, I'm going to say this entire podcast is dedicated to to, to the memory of Ruth Eisenberg and, and Margaret Patrick. Yeah. Oh, who yeah. looked who looked at each other, and they said, "We're not so different, you and I." Yeah, and their differences were complementary. Exactly. So so they could become one person behind the piano. Exactly. Wow. That's kind of like how I like to think of our podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of my my impishness is a uh, a good balance to your lack of impishness. Yeah, indeed. Which I haven't come up with a word for yet, but <laughs> the opposite of impishness. Opposite of impishness.
Yeah, let me see. Let me see if this thesaurus has anything to say about antonyms of impish. And then that's how we'll end it here. <laughs> Unmischievous <laughs> is a suggestion they give, which is kind of dumb. Subdued. I would say that you are you are more subdued than I am. Mm. I would say that's definitely true. I mean, you're not like. Uh, how about how about more good and more moral? Than you? <laughs> Those you'll notice I skipped over. <laughs> oh man! Uh, here I'm just really quickly going to give some uh, synonyms for impish. Sure. Uh, that I think apply to you. I'm going to pick. Yeah. There are 20 here. Yeah. I'm going to pick three. Okay. Tony. Yeah. You're saucy. <laughs> Ooh. Tony. You are pert. <laughs> my, my God. And um, Tony, you're uh, just a little bit puckish. <laughs> I'm currently looking at synonyms for subdued. Austin, Austin, I've always I've always thought of you as domesticated. Mm. <laughs> Austin, when I when I think of you, I think of uh, I think of somebody who's tempered. Hmm. When I when, when my friends ask me to to describe you, Austin, I use the word moderated. <laughs> <laughs> like a, moderated like, and all like a good debate. <laughs> you know the, the the two things, Austin, and a good a good verbal spar have in common. <laughs> well, this has been very fun, and I'm glad uh, after a little bit of a break that we have come back. Indeed. Uh, it's um, been a while, but we we should we should thank our our logo designer Anna Swearinga. We should thank our theme song creator Jude Schuma. And we have, uh, we have a Twitter account. We do, which we update periodically. If you if you're interested at uh, at what is it? At, so, call, so call me Ishmael. So call me Ishmael. Good luck spelling it, suckers. <laughs> Read a book. Read a book for once. Read the first sentence of a book for once. Uh, read the third chapter of the Bible. For no, once. It's probably, it's probably in Genesis, right? Somewhere? It is. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I want to end, end the podcast with, with some information from Twitter. Ooh. That's that's sort of checking in on Natalie Portman and what she's up to. Okay. And it's just important for you all to know that Natalie Portman denies ever dating Moby. <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh, very good. Goodbye. I already-